Hi, everyone. It's Meredith. Before we get into this week's episode, Lale and I need to share a little bit of housekeeping. Somehow, this is our second to last episode of the year before we go on break. We'll be returning next week and then again in the spring of 2022. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to us so you know when we come back. Thanks for joining us throughout this year. It's been an absolute blast and we hope you enjoy today's episode. This is Women Who Travel, a podcast by Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello. This week, we are very, very excited to chat to none other than Susan Sarandon, the actor and activist known for her iconic roles in movies like Thelma and Louise, The Witches of Eastwick, Dead Man Walking, and so, so much more. She's also, incidentally, an avid traveller. And so it makes perfect sense that her most recent collaboration has been with Fairmont Hotels and Resorts as the brand's global ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us, Susan. Thank you for having me. Well, this last year and a half, 18 months has been crazy for everyone. But I think that Lolly and I have been so excited to be getting back out there in ways big and small. So we'd love to know how you've started easing yourself back into traveling. Well, I haven't been on a plane yet, and I'm working right now, so I've been driving to Atlanta. Having stayed away from airports for all this time, I found it quite nice that I haven't had to go into the thick of things. I like driving, so I've been, you know, taking long trips that way. And I guess the big thing is even having these conversations where you start to think about travel again, because I think one of the saddest things, once you were safe physically, I think that taking away the ability to dream about taking a trip was very sad and and upsetting because I've always taken that for granted. I've always thought, okay, Spring break, where can I drag the children to this time? Christmas, where are we going to go during that vacation? And um, so I spent the first few months of the lockdown alone in my apartment, just taking my scrapbooking next level. uh, (laughs) Because I've always made these big, you know, memory books. As a parent, I've I've always felt that that was one of my biggest jobs was to make a lot of memories. So we did go places on all our spring breaks and Christmas breaks. And and whenever I went on location, I dragged my kids out of school until they were old enough to really give a good argument about not going, which meant like (laughs) middle school. so now I've, I think we're just looking at our list. My my grandkids, who one was born during lockdown, and then there was a three and a half year old and a and a five year old. One of the things they did, my daughter was so brilliant. They had a list pinned to you know near the door of where they were going to go once COVID lifted, because they were also used to traveling, and so they had different colors and they put down they wanted to go back to maine our house in maine they wanted to you know go to the, to uh, paris they wanted to they all these places that they imagined and that was something that really helped their mental health at that time because their friends got ripped away for the longest time they weren't going to school and luckily they really loved to hang out together so and they had the new baby and the whole trip 
But I think that now just having the conversation is easing everyone into the idea that we can start, especially if you've vaccinated and if you're careful, uh, to travel again. And I think that that is something that's always been super important to me and a lot of people. If you were able to make a list like your daughter did of the places you were dreaming about going, what would be on that list for you? Well, I definitely miss Italy. I'm, I'm uh, on my mom's side, Sicilian, and I, I really want to go back there. My daughter's father's Roman, and luckily she got to see her grandmother before she died during COVID in Rome. Uh, so, And Milvia had seen the grandkids for the first time, so that was really important. I definitely, Italy would be back at the top of my list. Morocco, I really miss. Um, I've taken a number of trips with my kids there from the time they were small, actually. My youngest, I think, was five or six when we went for the first time as a family to Morocco. Um, Japan. I've made some great, great memories. One of my sons is just obsessed and has been since high school with Japan, speaks Japanese. And one of my favorite trips was when I just did his Japan and we stayed in Airbnbs and he took me to every little dive or that he had found now that he's older. We went to the Art Island, I forget what that's called, and traveled around together. And I was dependent on him to be my guide. And that was a very, very special trip for me. Um, I haven't been to Croatia. Everyone's going crazy about vacationing in Croatia these days. One of my boys and Brian, my assistant, had a what he determined was one of the best vacations he's ever had in Croatia. So I don't know if we should talk about it because then everyone will go to Croatia and it won't be as cool <laughs> as it was for him. Um, so there's many places, you know, that I am ready to go visit um, once I... I've, I'm doing a job now in um, in Georgia, and honestly, it's it has to do with the country Western world, and that has been like going to a foreign country for me. But that I hadn't really known that much about being a Texas diva recording artist, so that's been really fun. I have to say, you know, in my job. You get to visit so many countries and time periods and things, even if you're not actually there, that you uh, your mind gets bended a little bit here and there. And that's one of the real pluses and, and interesting things that, you know, is, is meeting people and surrendering to different periods and time and different places. Uh, and of course, if you aren't fortunate to be able to be a kid with a backpack and having months to just ramble. It helps in all of these places to either have a connection of somebody who's local or, uh, you know, being given a guide that can really cut to the chase about things and help you see a place in a way that you wouldn't be able to see as a tourist. To that point, what have been some of your favorite cities or sets to travel to work for and film on? Are there any that have kind of stuck with you that was a particularly extraordinary experience or was a place that you actually did get to find some time to explore and connect with? I did Dune for the Sci-Fi Channel ages ago in Prague. And that was 
uh, discovering if that's a very user-friendly city. You know, coming from New York, I'd like to be able to walk places. I like to be able to wander and be surprised. I mean, New York is a serendipity city for sure. And uh, you don't have to know what you're doing to discover all kinds of fabulous things, especially downtown more than, you know, the heart of the midtown. So Prague, I thought was really great that way. I was doing a film in a TV series about um, Ericciano and Mussolini, and I discovered a lot, all kinds of amazing places in the in Italy that I never would have gone to. You know, smaller towns and and buildings that we got to go inside, castles and places. You know, this is really. Uh, the plus of, of having this is your job. I also got pregnant unexpectedly, so that was a good takeaway, <laughs> my daughter. Um, <laughs> but Italy, I, you know, I, I had never really, didn't know that much about Italy. And um, I did another job in Tunisia where I went through Italy or before that, and that was my first real exposure. And I knew Gore Vidal because I had done a play for him, and he became kind of my entry into uh, Rome. And to hear his version of Italy, of course, was very, very special. And that was a, a, a take that was also interesting historically, you know, to travel all around the country and learn about Italy during the war and the fall of Mussolini, and at the same time, uh, be actually there was was pretty special. You know, you you don't have that many days off. So when I did Bull Durham, which I love that area of the country of the United States too, and and learned, I was so prejudiced against being in a locker room. You know, when I arrived, I thought this is going to be really chauvinistic and. And, and it was one of the most respected experiences I had with Ron Shelton and Kevin and Tim and and that area. And I was a single mom at that time. And, and uh, we were working six days a week. This is when that was more common. And um, still that area for me, I hold very dear and was able to understand more about that little oove doing that movie in that place was so special. And now that I'm doing this country Western thing, uh, I, I'm having that same kind of experience, you know, learning about something that is American, but at the same time, I really hadn't had an introduction and I'm working with a guy who is a country Western star. And um, <laughs> so that's been really fun. It's a great job in that sense. You know, you do get to have contacts with cultures and and time periods that you really don't know that much about because we're all in our bubble and travel is what opens your mind and heart to other places. When you think about all the trips that you've taken for work or for fun or with your family over the years, how do you feel like your relationship with travel itself has changed or like your priorities when you travel, how have those changed over the years? Well, uh, you know, I'm the oldest of nine and I, I moved from Queens to New Jersey and babysat my whole life. And the, the biggest kind of vacation we could take financially was camping. So I didn't have that kind of uh, experience growing up, which I've forced on my children. I have dragged them everywhere and they've continued to be curious and to travel. So that, I think that was a good investment. 
There was a time in the beginning of my career when I took jobs in order to go to the Philippines or to go. And it took me a little bit before I understood I could do that without having to work <laughs> um, and I and just schedule it on my own. There are a few jobs that I took that you I'm sure you haven't seen that <laughs> that um, that were very interesting experiences. The cinema afforded me that opportunity. You know, I mean, we spent just the most glorious fall on the Monte Peninsula in Greece doing the Tempest uh, with a great, very interesting group of people, and it was deserted at that time and just perfect. So. Now I've scheduled more without working. I'm not as much of a travel whore as I used to be. Anytime anyone offered me a free trip, I would definitely get interested. But um, now I, you know, I have the means and God knows the time to travel now that I'm not full on raising a family with their school schedules. That changes your life completely when you have kids that are school age. Although I wish I had been less respectful of their education, honestly. I think they <laughs> learned, I think they developed better flexibility and adaptability and curiosity being dragged around to places. But, you know, at a certain point, I was very predictable in keeping them in high school and doing things the way that the establishment tells you you should. But when they were smaller, I, it was easier to when their peers weren't as powerful in their heads as when they're little, they're, you know, it's easier to disrupt the socialization process and find the local museum. And, and most of the teachers that I chose would make that possible as a learning experience to go to New Orleans for two months and have your own ducks in your bathtub. and find out about the architecture and, you know, go to the kids' museums. I know the kids' museums in every place I've ever filmed. There was obviously a large period of your life where you were wanting to show your kids the world and also, you know, jumping on those travel opportunities through work. But it sounds like recently you've been travelling a lot more for yourself, pre-COVID at least. And, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, you're currently Fairmont's brand ambassador. You know, when you are traveling for yourself and hopping between places, what is it about hotels that you love? What is it that draws you to them and draws you to this brand ambassador role? Room service, if they have fun room service and yeah, room service. And I also really, I love those really nice sheets and pillows and you know, getting into a really comfy bed, whether it's on safari or whether it's, I mean, I, that's a real treat. And also I'm very appreciative of someone who makes my bed in the morning for me. I'm really partial to having a, a view when I'm in a hotel. I think that's just still so thrilling to me to open a window and, and see the old parts of the city and hear the birds singing. I, I like to take advantage of the disruption of my sleep cycle by, you know, walking early in the morning or late at night, whatever it is, and, and, and wandering. I'm a wanderer. I remember the first time I was in Venice and you look down those little alleyways and just, I don't know, it just sets your imagination on fire. And when I had my, a child, Eva's father is Roman. 
And so I, I did live in Rome off of the Piazza Navana, off of the Piazza Popolo at different times. And, you know, they are tiny, these old, fabulous-looking apartments that you're looking at and wistfully thinking, oh, what it must be like to live in these. You're walking up many staircases and, you know, bringing your groceries up by a basket because you can't, you know, finding ways to deal with a small child. And, and it's like being in a, a New York four or five flat stairs walk up or something. Um, so it's nice to be able to wander those and then go back to a beautiful hotel. And even if the room isn't huge, being able to open that window and see the birds singing, hear the birds singing and see all those old houses all stacked on top of each other. I love that. I have to ask, what's your go-to room service order? It depends. You know, like when I stayed in a Ryokan in Japan, I was just flabbergasted when they bring in that, all the little boxes of special things that you don't even know half of what you're eating. I just love that. Um, but, you know, a good cup of cappuccino in Italy and, and uh, some flaky pastry in Paris. I don't know. It depends on if it's a rainy day and you want a nice soup or if you, you know, just knowing they're there to, to help out. I really, I love that. You know, to as a mom. <laughs> yes, to be, I was just going to say as a mom, to be looked after and have someone bring you something when, you, when you're a little peckish is really, really great. All that, whatever the local, like tomatoes in Italy just taste like tomatoes. You know, when you're in Europe and... But also in Cuba, I had some amazing seafood in Cuba and Greece. You know, there's just clean local food. Local stuff is what I always go for. Earlier, you mentioned that you've been driving to Atlanta. And Thelma and Louise is arguably one of the greatest road trip movies of all time. When you think but about road But not with a happy ending. Well, yes. <laughs> You don't want to end you don't, that we way. Don't, you don't want to have that be no, your road no, trip. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, do do like to hold hands with my best friend, but well, I, um, the funniest thing was when I was in, um, I was on a trip with one of my kids in the Grand Canyon, and it was the anniversary of Thelma and Louise, and I went into the gift shop, and there were all these women on Thelma and Louise trips, and as if I had been hired to welcome them to the Grand Canyon, <laughs> we were in the gift shop. I always thought, God, that was so weird that that worked out. I didn't even know it was the anniversary and I was meeting all these pairs of friends that were now at the Grand Canyon. But yes, you don't want to end that way. Sorry. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask, um, you know, what is it about road trips that don't have that ending that you love um, that keep you going back to that way of travel? And why do you think women are still taking Thelma and Louise trips all these years later? I, I think if you're going to do something like that, and I have a son who right now is, who, who drove from California to be with me on Mother's Day in New York. He has a dog, so he couldn't fly with this rather large dog. And um, he stayed all this time, and he just is driving back as we speak. And he decided this time, instead of kind of planning his trip and making reservations at Airbnbs or whatever, that he would just wing his way. And it has been so much more interesting for him and easier for him to be present because he, you know, was driving as if he was bringing a kidney to somebody in L.A. before, you know, and now he's just kind of easing his way 
Um, and it hasn't been that he's been on the road that much longer, but I can tell that he's been more present. And so I always think there used to be a way when I drove cross country, you could get these trip tech things that you opened that AAA gave you. And they would say, do you want to take the fast route or do you want to take the slow route? And here's some things that you'll find a huge dinosaur in the middle of this town or a lumberjack statue in the middle of that town. And that was kind of fun. Um, and so I, I think that if you're going to do that, the element of surprise if you can really be present and also have conversations. I would love to do just a listening tour of America and areas like the South or the Midwest or where I actually had experienced this a lot when I was on the road with Bernie Sanders uh, when he was running both times. And for me, it made me just love America in a way that I, I just hadn't understood Iowa or Illinois or or. Georgia or South Carolina, you know, to actually have the experience to sit down and talk to a group of teachers, to talk to nurses, to talk to people about what their experience in their neighborhoods, in their communities. And I think we have to get back to communities. And as a traveler, just hitting the points of interest that everybody knows about, I would like to just be able to go and have a slice of apple pie, ask somebody where you know, do you get the best apple pie? Do you want to come with me? Let's go sit at that diner. And I would like to hear how people are doing in their lives and, and go to the local artisans in the United States as much as I do in other countries. And um, so I think that, you know, if you have a friend that you can do it with even better because you can laugh and have, you know, shared experience and that's that's pretty important. But I always take the road less traveled, let's say, um, and am always surprised. He just sent me some pictures of a bodybuilding competition that he found in, in Amarillo that looked unbelievable. And I'm taking all of these and taking them off of, you know, the pictures that he sends me and printing them and adding them to my compulsive scrapbooking that I've been doing for years and years for my kids, which reached the next level during COVID, where I introduced tape and stickers and all kinds of writing and everything. I mean, now it's become almost a pain in the ass because every year they get a book and they're just running out of space. But eventually <laughs> they're going to really appreciate these, I know. That's my cottage industry that's connected to travel. You mentioned being on the road with Bernie how has travel informed your activism and the way in which you engage with politics and also vice versa? How has, has that impacted the way you view travel and the way you see your place moving around the world? That's a lot of questions. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think being supportive of Bernie even fell into the... For me, it wasn't political. I think politics is just completely corrupt as a concept and people don't have enough information, real information to even make educated choices. But it gave me an opportunity to understand how people want all want the same basic things and how threatening that is to the systems that we have in place. The fact that this COVID thing happened if anything it showed us the two Americas that we have how people with money could get what they needed, could isolate more easily, and how healthcare should not be dependent on your employer. There are really 
divisions in this country that have been there forever, but we haven't had the opportunity to really absorb them and be aware of them until we lost going to school, going to work, no sports, no uh, travel, no, and we were just stuck having to see what happens in an emergency and the fact that we don't have health care in this country. And when I was traveling around, everyone wanted. I mean, the, the bulk of the nation absolutely wants a $15 minimum wage and health care and things that would you would expect in supposedly the wealthiest country in the world. And so it showed me that unity is not only possible, but necessary. And that people, if you just are dealing with the right word groupings, they are on the same page. When Bernie went after Trump won and had town halls into, in Trump land, people ended up embracing him and, and agreeing with everything that he said. So that gives me hope that basically, you know, we can be human beings all united to help our neighbors. And if you just, you know, appeal in the, the right level, and there are so many people who are doing amazing things all over this country. I mean, talking to teachers who are just putting in an enormous amount of hours trying to help kids whose parents don't speak English and but who want their kids to succeed and trying to deal with school boards that are completely gone off in the wrong direction and healthcare workers and people that are housing people and people, you know, there, there really are in every community amazing human beings, amazing human beings that move me with their generosity. You know, you were mentioning that the pandemic has given us time and an opportunity to really reevaluate a lot of a lot of things in our lives. And I think one of the things that on the Connie Nass Traveler team that we've been thinking about a lot is, you know, moving around the world in a more responsible, ethical, eco-conscious way. How do you see your own habits changing or what do you hope comes out of that reevaluation from a travel perspective. Having even this come up in a conversation about travel with a brand that is a luxury brand and which which has been around for a long time, I think is enormous that they have gone to the trouble and feel that their people that are going to be staying in their hotels are interested in some way of offsetting their footprint and that they have programs addressing reforestation and water conservation and energy savings and food waste and unionizing and all of these things things that maybe hadn't been at the forefront, especially when you're looking at the iconic hotels like, you know, the one in Banff and the one, uh, the plaza. And it's easier to deal with it in the Maldives where you're building fresh and that these things are part of our conversation. But I think a lot of people are aware that they want to offset their footprint somehow and they want to know how, you know, the places where they stay, what are these communities doing? They want to make sure that they are in some way benefiting uh, moving these communities where the hotels are forward. I mean, it always kind of cracked me up to be in Vegas when they say, do you, you know, turn off your light when you go out? That's ridiculous in Vegas. But I mean, there's other places where, you know, it makes sense to develop these habits. And the other thing is, yes, don't use plastic straws, do recycle, do blah, blah, blah. But when you have Chevron getting away with dumping billions of toxic waste in Ecuador, when you hear things like that happening, I think we have to be more aware of the big 
problems, the military pollution with our military and and what big corporations are doing and and hold them responsible and be more involved that way. So yeah, plant your garden and start, you know, being careful with the detergent you're using and be aware of what's in cosmetics and how much you're buying a fashion and all of these things that that you can do personally, but also look towards your government, who are the big spenders in terms of pollution and, and demand. These kids that are in the Sunrise Movement, God bless them. They really have linked the problem to policy. And um, so, yes, it's great that the Fairmont hotels and resorts are entering into this century understanding that people care about that and that people are having that conversation that are lucky enough to travel and stay at their hotels. And I think we have to commend them for, for doing that, but also keep the pressure on in our businesses. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Susan. We really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you. You can find more information on Susan's work with Fairmont at fairmont.com slash offers slash grandest hyphen feelings. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter. We're almost at the end of our season this year, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you know when we're back in 2022. But for now, we'll talk to you next week. 